0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: Modern disinfectant products work really, really well at killing disease-causing microbes, but they bring problems along with them, from possible long-term environmental damage to antibiotic resistance. But what if you could create a chemical that was just as good at killing bacteria, but neutralized itself into harmless natural molecules after it did its job? Researchers at the USDA's Agricultural Research Service think they may have done just that, Billy Hart Cooper is an ARS research chemist in Albany, California, and for his work on those biodegradable disinfectants, he's been chosen as a finalist in the Service to America Medal's Emerging Leaders category. He talked with me about why ARS is interested in disinfectant research and what his team has developed so far.
2: Disinfectants are part of a broader category of antimicrobial agents, and antimicrobial agents are critical to many, many aspects of our society. You know, you can't have surgery without antibiotics food sanitation and the sanitation of surfaces related to germ theory have saved so many millions of lives over the past 100 years since that understanding was developed. And right now, there's, there's a really big challenge that's facing us, and that's the threat of antibiotic resistance. So currently, antibiotic-resistant infections kill about 700,000 people per year. It's predicted that if you extrapolate current trends, um, antibiotic resistance will become a major problem possibly killing up to 10 million people per year by 2050. And part of the problem there is that the more you use these miraculous chemicals, the less effective they become. So microbes have an ability to resolve, evolve resistance to them and to become less effective. And so in order to maintain our current standards of living and this type of technology, we need to be on that treadmill and we need to be creating new antimicrobials and we need to create ones that are less likely to cause resistance.
1: Beyond the res- resistance issue, though, right, there's there's also environmental harm problems with conventional disinfectants, right? Can you talk about some of those specific problems with the products that we have on our shelves in our in our kitchen cupboards right now that, that you're trying to solve?
2: Sure. So every, every chemical has hazards, and hazard can be a very complicated thing to define. Typically, there's 16 to 18 different hazard endpoints that would include things like, does the chemical cause cancer? Is it a mutagen? Does it cause skin irritation? Does it cause reproductive effects? Is it toxic ecologically? Is it toxic to fish and small crustaceans and things in the natural environment? Antimicrobials and really anything that's biologically active, including pesticides as a broad class, it's very, very hard to have selective toxicity where you want it. They're always going to have off-target effects and other hazards. I'll I'll go through two examples of antimicrobials that are used in everyday products. one of them is a uh, classic chemical called isothiazoanones. Now, I've had a lot of uh, experience with these. I'm, I'm prone to allergic skin reactions, but they are fantastic molecules at keeping formulas sterile. They're very, very good at keeping your soaps, your shampoos, even water in some cases, free from growing pathogenic disease-causing bacteria, mold, and yeast. They're extremely potent. And you hardly even notice they're there. You add a tiny, tiny little drop in a big formula, and they work like magic. The problem is the same mechanism that causes their toxicity to microbes also, in some people, cause your immune system to react in the same way. And so you can get these allergic skin reactions, especially when it's applied to skin surfaces. And the more you apply it, the more uh, sensitized you'll become. And people have varying sensitivities to this. But that's, that's one example. So that's a common preservative used in, um, nearly all non-food liquid products, home care, home and personal care products that can cause allergic skin reactions, skin sensitization. And so developing alternatives to that, that don't cause the irritation, super important. Another example of this type of chemical are quaternary ammonium compounds. Now those are sort of the workhorse standard chemicals for disinfecting surfaces when you can't, when you can't use bleach or oxidants or acids. You know, you don't wanna be putting bleach or oxidants or acids on your skin or on sensitive surfaces. So you use these chemicals that are re- relatively inert and less likely to cause irritation in that way. So that's great. Um, they're used a lot in disinfectants, they're used a lot in medical industry, food industry, They're even used as conditioning agents. They make your skin and hair softer so they can be in your hair conditioner or in your lotion. There's a lot of different types of quats, but the ones that are more biologically active have major issues around their ecological toxicity. They're they're highly toxic to aquatic organisms in particular, like small crustaceans that might be sort of the base of a lot of aquatic food chains and fish, um, especially young fish. That's a big issue. And the other issue is that um, these chemicals can be fairly persistent in the environments. They can linger around for, in some cases, it's been reported hundreds of days with no visible degradation, especially under low oxygen environments. And once microbes are exposed to these chemicals, they develop defenses against them. They develop what's called efflux pumps. So they're these little machines that spit out the chemical, the problem is once they develop resistance to that, once they are able to spit out this chemical, they can spit out other clinically important chemicals like clinically relevant antibiotics. Those same pores that spit out the quaternary ammonium compounds can spit out antibiotics and it can make that bacteria resistant to it even if that bacteria isn't a disease causing bacteria, those genes that encode that new uh, invention from the bacteria, the, the pump, can be transferred to bacteria that cause disease in people. Using these common commercial products can be something that it can lead to antibiotic resistance to develop in a broader population of bacteria.
1: And I think one of the root issues here, right, and tell me if I'm getting the science wrong, is that these these more traditional compounds just don't break down in water kind of ever. And I think the stuff that you're working on does, that's sort of the whole point, right? So so talk us through some of your solutions to all the all the challenges that we've been talking about.
2: Yeah, so I, I think one of the big challenges is you don't always have control about where your chemicals are gonna end up when you're done using it. But one thing that you do know is that it'll probably be washed down in water and it'll end up in an aquatic source. Now, once it's an aquatic source, it could partition to soil and the, the picture gets a little more complicated there. But our strategy here was to look at this structure and identify the function of these molecules, and start to incorporate little reversible bonds within that molecule, so that it could unzip once it's diluted in water. There's a lot of different bonds that you could consider for this type of solution. A lot of them comes out of the field called self-assembly. And so you can start to construct analogous compounds that resemble these chemicals, but contain that little zipper bond, that little deactivation switch that's to a certain concentration and dilution in water. And so once you use the compounds, it gets diluted at a certain point that's specific to the bond that you're using. The water will unzip it, break it apart into the subcomponents that are preselected to be non-toxic and non-persistent. So you can measure them in the laboratory and identify how long they last and how quickly they're broken down by common environmental bacteria.
1: So if, if water is the reversing agent for these bonds, I assume the product itself cannot be water-based. So what, is, what does the product actually look like in real life once we get to a usable product and how do you apply it to a surface?
2: So the nice thing about the approach is that there's lots of possible solutions. and And we've developed a few of them, but there's plenty more that could be built upon this. So you can select bonds that are highly sensitive to water or less sensitive to water. One of the ones that we started out with we wanted to match the performance of traditional traditional disinfectants and traditional antibiotics. That means we want to retain activity down to parts per million level. So that's one part of our compound per a million parts of water. So that's a relatively stable reversible bond. And the way we did that, we chose one component called uh, cumin aldehyde. That's the smell of tacos, basically. It's the, it's the active ingredient in, in cumin seed oil. So very non-toxic, food grade. A lot of us consume it every day. Um, and non toxic to the environment. Um, the second component we chose was actually a synthetic compound called amino that shares the same functional group as found in, in the amino acid arginine. What's special about it is it has a special nitrogen nitrogen bond that gives us that stability down to parts per million levels. And so it links up with cuminaldehyde. That compound is your active compound. And then once it gets diluted to a pretty large extent and is allowed to, to reach equilibrium, it's back to the subcomponents that are then biodegradable and, and non-toxic, and functionally they're they're different than the active compound. So our hypothesis is that it's not going to cause resistance in the same way.
1: As far as effectiveness in that antimicrobial action, how much do we know so far about how well the you know a cumin seed based oil uh, will work compared to the Lysol that we have in our in, in our bathrooms? The
2: performance is is uh, very good. So for the active compound that has the the cuminaldehyde linked up with the guanidine, we call that compound a cuminaldehyde guanidine hydrozone. And the testing we've done so far, we've tested it in lots of different home and personal care products there. It it tends to match or surpass um, the performance of a lot of traditional preservatives and disinfectants. It's the activity and how quickly it disinfects a surface is comparable to a lot of the traditional compounds because it's functionally very similar. Like we, we, looked at and studied this, uh, the structures of existing compounds. And then we replicated it with just that reversible bond, which doesn't impact the efficacy as long as it's held together, You know, as long as you don't dilute it too much and wait for it to break apart. Got um, it. So, yeah, activity is similar.
1: Um, is there a path to commercialization that you can clearly see here? And, and, and do you know how you would do that at this point And how yeah. long it would take?
2: It's, uh, well, with any new ingredient that has biological activity like this, you need to do a lot of work to show that it's safe first. We're pursuing multiple paths. So we're working with partners in in home and personal care industry. And at the same time, we're exploring other applications. Like, where else is this useful? At its core, it's it's a substance that's naturally derived, very non-toxic to skin, breaks down to non-toxic biodegradable subcomponents in the environment. And so one of the applications is uh, as a treatment for uh, digital dermatitis, which is a, a disease that affects a lot of hoofed animals, cows, sheep, even elk. They can get these painful ulcers and lesions on their feet that are very, their hooves that are very, very hard to heal. Um, it's a lot of different bacteria all mixed together, very persistent, easy, it easily spreads in feedlots. It can be very expensive and it's just it's just kind of sad too <laughs> that, that animals would have to, we live with that. And so one of the one of the things we're looking with, is we're developing uh, formulas, little hoof balms that heal those those ulcers. And so far, the the results have been extremely promising, even after one or two applications, you get complete recovery, it looks like a new hoof. And so that's that's one area we're really excited about alternatives to topical antibiotics, things that can be applied to infections on, on skin surfaces, and that can promote healing there.
1: Is it still something that you would classify as an antibiotic or is it really a disinfectant? Or is there not much difference between the two functionally?
2: It depends on the application and what claims you're trying to make in the product that you have. If you're you're claiming on your product that it eliminates 99.9% of bacteria within 10 minutes, then that's more of a disinfectant claim. If it shows that it keeps a formula sterile over the course of two years, that's preservative claim. If you're doing some sort of wound healing and acceleration of, uh, of the recovery process for a skin infection, that's a different claim on its own. Um, it, I think we usually talk about it as an alternative to antibiotics. It's a new compound, it isn't an antibiotic which are typically isolated from um, bacteria, often that are grown in the soil and there are these miracle substances that can cure infections inside and out. A lot of times, although there are topical antibiotics, this is a new molecule that we invented that, is an alternative to antibiotics and allows you to heal the animals that you have that are sick and achieve all these other applications, preservative, disinfection, any type of antimicrobial application uh, that we can observe that it works, but it allows you to not use those traditional antibiotics.
1: Billy Hart Cooper is a research scientist with the Agricultural Research Service in Albany, California. To hear this interview and the rest of our conversations with this year's Sammy's finalists, go to federalnewsnetwork.com slash federal
3: drive. and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time.
0: It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, during my assignments in Washington, DC, I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea.
3: Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants